Handbags and Glad Rags, a podcast on the intersections of politics, culture and gender with me, Ellie Davis, And me, Rian E. Jones. This is the first episode of the series and today we're going to start by having a kind of brief sort of general conversation about the drive and ideas behind the show and then we're then going to lead into a discussion about a hugely important space uh, for both of us, both physically and imaginatively, which is the pub. Capital T, capital P. Um, more on that a bit later. Okay, so we met for the first time in real life, I think, in what must have been 2012 or 2013, which is a horrifying amount of time ago now. And we'd been, I think we were aware of each other on Twitter, I think, weren't we? We used to talk about London bus routes and music and stuff quite, and, and left politics quite a lot. All the, um, all the big stuff. Yeah, the, the main themes <laughs> of existence. Uh, and then we were both working on the no defunct left website, New Left Project. I think that was when we sort of properly got to know each other, I think, wasn't it? And yeah. we had, yeah, a lot of a lot of shared sensibility around music, politics, culture, relationships, which are all the kind of things that we're going to be discussing uh, on this series. And yeah, so one of these or a few of these conversations resulted in the book and my thumb so if you want to say a bit about what what that project was or yeah so under my thumb uh, subtitled songs that hate women and the women who love them was a collection of women's music writing that we put together and it kind of grew out of conversations slash arguments that both of us I think were involved in on social media mainly about so-called problematic faves like pulp and David Bowie and the conversations that that women uh, we had as women fans of these artists Mm -hmm. and our feelings about their music and their their sexual politics of the music as of course as discussions on social media about music uh, tend to do there were a lot of men involved in these um, discussions kind of trying to explain back often our own feelings about the this music yeah very very often as though this was something they'd they just discovered and thought about for themselves and, and wondered if any other men had had thoughts yeah on yeah. Uh, Jarvis Cocker for example yeah. and his and his gender politics yeah absolutely and also in some cases I think there might have been a few people trying to tell us to get over it and you know sort of oh that yeah that too appreciate that too. the music for on its own terms or yeah, yeah. separating the artist from the art which is yeah. is exactly what the book is is about is about how we navigate that it's neither an argument for oh, council culture I, I, I hope you could get through like I hoped I could get through like maybe an hour in in the day at the moment without using those words but there you go (laughs) it's not an argument for cancel culture and neither is it really like why you should be a fan of problematic things and not think at all about the sexual politics or the gender politics or the racial politics because they all intersect um, of an artist it's just about how you navigate that and conversations that you can have with yourself or with other fans uh, or other women around the love of music and art so yeah yeah that was all wrapped up in the book and re- really it's like a, it's a very condensed version of thoughts that I'd certainly been having I think you have as well for like mostly all of our lives as as music fans and also conversations we've been having for years and years with other women so I think it was a real step forward I think to sort of get a lot of it down in writing and in a collection of essays that I think you know for one thing are really very funny as well as like thoughtful and there's such a range it's such a range of different experiences and stories Mm -hmm. being talked about there which I think was was such an exciting thing about putting it together and yeah absolutely it was it felt like a product of you know a result of conversations that we've been we've Mm -hmm. so many years and also a space to sort of develop and talk about you know our Mm -hmm. our own subjectivity as women music fans which felt like it feels like such a basic thing Mm -hmm. but actually really still annoyingly frustratingly rare um in 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 sort of the media um yeah and and similarly I think when we were putting the book together we noticed that women I mean certainly since like the 60s and 70s 
70s, female music critics had been making the same sort of arguments or giving the same insights that we were thinking about, which is true, I think, of a lot of things that we're going to be discussing. There are things that have been talked about, certainly since the 60s, and ideas about women occupying public space and um, civic, their place in civic life, um, which the pub will touch on a little bit, is something that's, that's been talked about for decades as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, these conversations have been going on for a long time and it's not like we were, we're sort of trying to say this is the first time anyone is mm-hmm. ever doing this we're just drawing pulling together lots of different yeah it's a it's a, a contribution to an ongoing conversation yes absolutely I think um spe- speaking of ongoing conversations the um the the subject of the pub is something that we've talked about a lot and a lot of the conversations that have resulted in this podcast as well as resulting in the book that we did um took place in pubs Various pubs, I think, in London, Cardiff, yeah, yeah. Edinburgh, Bristol. <laughs> We've been all over the country drinking. Um, and it's been great <laughs> since 2013. The, the pub itself embodies and the, and the social and cultural importance that the pub has embodies a lot of our shared sensibility, Definitely. I think. Um, it's a very important space to us um, yeah. for loads of different reasons. And so we wanted to unpack some of this. And there's... I think Ali there's a Guardian article which um, we both think is really good which is about the pub and the, the spirit of the pub I guess the soul of the pub so you're gonna um, give us some of that yeah I'm gonna read I'm gonna read from an ex, um, an extract from a Guardian long read um, from four or five years ago now if not more actually it's about a campaign to save one particular pub the Golden Lion in Camden and the kind of the growth of the pub co that was kind of buying up pubs and kind of stripping them of the landlord's autonomy and and changing the kind of character of the pub and also developers who buy up pubs which often stand on very valuable kind of premises and developers want to buy them and turn them into flats and so on so the the article or the, this sort of essay talks about that the specifics of those campaigns but it also kind of tries to grapple with this idea of what the pub is and what it means to us and why it generates such strong feelings in these campaigns where people are fighting to save um the pub I was rereading this today and um I I think it was kind of almost painful to read it because I'm missing the pub so much at the moment and I think Rianne that's probably something that's going to come up in our conversation or the, the things that we are missing about the pub as a space yeah. as a sort of general space as well as specific pubs um so yeah I'm, I'm going to read this because I think it re- really sums up a lot of, of what we think about this subject Mm-hmm. so it says it is possible to feel deprived of a vanished pub even if it was one you never made use of just as a church can be reassuring to the irreligious for being re- redoubtable bracingly old with doors more often open than not pubs are potent and strange like that you can take against one on instinct even when it meets every ind- idiosyncratic item on your wants list then fall hard for a shithole You can step inside an unfamiliar pub and know immediately in the belly that you have made an error. And you can step into another and think second home. The discovery of a new pub, its signboard thrust out of the intersection of roads and announcing it, the colourful animal, the royal royal's body part, the two or three somethings can be absolutely elating in a way that is beyond the powers of a Tesco Express. A pub is oddly difficult to describe, it goes on, and try describing a pub for yourself without resorting to cultural shortcuts. Marlowe, Mel Flanders, Peggy Mitchell, with now Shaun of the Dead. And likely you will wind up describing what it isn't. A pub is not a bar, it is not a restaurant, it is not a social club, it is not a shop, it is not a bench in a park, it is not a surgery or psychiatrist's office, it is not a gig venue, a football stadium, a fighting pit a staff room, a piano room. It is not the house you grew up in, nor the atrocious digs you moved into in your 20s. It is not your present day living room. It is not a bus shelter. And in some ways, it is all those things. It is a pub. Beautiful. Thank you. I love how, I guess, given the, the time it was written, it ends up almost being kind of an elegy for, for, yeah. for pubs as were, particularly given, I don't actually know the, the status of the Golden Lion at the moment, but I don't know if it's been, um, if it has been saved or not. But I know that a lot of like really beloved um, and culturally significant pubs have, have fallen over the past um, couple of years, especially in Camden. Yes, um, absolutely. In fact, one, yeah, in, in terms of like memories associated with pubs, I've got really like 
vivid, I don't know what time of day the show will be going out, so I won't go into them, but really vivid memories of uh, the Black Cap. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Which oh, is now really... just completely derelict now, I think. Yeah. I think it, it was, like, was going to be bought up, but then it wasn't. So it's just, it's kind of there vacant now when it was, uh, it was the site of so many legendary nights out. Great late bar. The, uh, the yes, the black cab often a sort of late drink. Yeah, no, I um I should say by the way that that long read was written by Tom Lamont. Um, mm-hmm. I meant to say that at the beginning, but it's a really beautiful, really really great essay. Um, which I recommend anyone who hasn't read it look up because it's it's it kind of puts into words a lot of what I uh, what a lot of probably what we both feel about. Yes, it? yeah, I was just trying to think about pubs in general, and and just ended up when I was trying to put. Um, some notes together and just ended up with like the very um, the very novelistic line I've had some of the worst and best times of my life in pubs um, which is true uh, and it reflects the fact that I've just spent a lot of my life there in general so that's unsurprising Um, but during lockdown yeah I have been almost physically pining uh, yearning for the pub because yeah. it was such a fundamental part of my my life. Sometimes it's part of my daily routine. Like there were various pubs near my work, near various places that I've worked, I would go to for uh, for lunch or for a lunchtime drink, depending on how badly the day was going. And also pubs that my entire workplace would sort of go to afterwards after a shift finished. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's something actually like that the, the pub as site of work of, of the work do, which obviously mm. can be really really torturous and awful. Yeah, dreadful. Sometimes. Yeah. But I, I used to like that in, in my one of my old jobs where you'd see a side to people in the pub that you wouldn't see in the work mm. in the workplace. And you'd see, you know, a sort of pu- a kind of public uh, sort of persona mm. coming out and people getting rounds and, you know, like and sort yeah, of yeah. mucking in in a way that actually was was sort of kind of new and really nice to see men and women yeah. both men and women you know yeah there'd be occasionally like a like a colleague would strike me as a, a even if I didn't get on well with them in work they would strike me as someone who might be an interesting person to go to the pub with yeah yeah and then when we ended up doing that it was usually like we would get to we would get on really well and we would get to know each other yeah a lot better through that, that sort of so- social lubrication that the pub provides in addition to yeah to work gatherings I guess I always appreciated pubs as social space for yeah la- large gatherings and uh, and communion and solidarity whether that's you know watching the rugby there um with a, a crowd of welsh people or someone's birthday do and also yeah I've, I've enjoyed the pub as um venues for more intimate meetings with yeah. like one or two friends of mine um or just for solitary drinking i, I find pubs are um like I, I very rarely just drink in the pub if I'm there on my own, though, it might sound odd, but I usually like try and go there with a book or a newspaper. And I find pubs are a good thinking and working environment. Yeah, I mean, a pub is so many different things. There's so much possibility and mm. uh, space and excitement and promise in a pub, you know, when you walk into mm-hmm. a pub. So uh, just to sort of go back to sort of the basics, really, what is a pub? Or what do we, we what do we look for? What is the kind of platonic ideal of, of the pub? We, uh, you know, that George Orwell wrote, the famous essay the moon under the water which was sort of about a mythical kind of space um, yeah the um that really annoyingly the the moon under water was the name of a really horrible wet like a particularly horrible weather spoon weather spoons and t- on charing Crossroad. crossroads oh, so Charing Crossroad, that's right that's right yeah it was, it was very near i worked at foils at the time so it's the one that we would end up in like as as a pub of last resort yeah and it was always revolting and I get particularly annoyed that it had this really evocative yeah. name that was yeah, associated with, um, with literary history but yeah. um yeah I have I always like pubs that that seem unmodern that seem mm-hmm. a bit like sort of liminal spaces where you can kind of step out of step out of your daily routine yes yeah. um which is hard it's hard to sort of describe in architectural or aesthetic terms but like I will I will know a good pub when I see one yes I don't know if you find this but sometimes I'll be walking past and there's something about the glow, especially on a like winter's evening or something, something about a certain mm. type of glow that a pub yes. will kind of transmit into the street, a kind of orangey yeah. lamp lit glow. You think that that place. That's, yes. That looks good. And often doesn't lead like often doesn't live up to the promise, but it's a nice moment where you think that, that you found. Yeah. Chanced upon really nice. Co- and I suppose like the cozy, co- there's a sort of coziness that I really like about that yes. I look for in a in a in a good pub. Um, yeah, a, a pub that has promise, like as you as you say. Yeah. Um I particularly I guess there are two types of pubs. I really like um old man pubs, which in aesthetic terms can often be revolting, like the usual like sticky carpets, carpet, red yeah. bear 
curtains that have been pulled since the 1950s those pubs are always like incredibly dark as well which I like mm-hmm. or usually mm-hmm. sort of like just yeah mm. lit. um but yeah they're quite I, I, yeah I especially like meeting with just like one or two people there because you feel a bit like a like an 18th century conspirator <laughs> which is something you know that's that's a bonus for me if I'm <laughs> In a, the other type of pub I like is um, the, the old Gin Palace, mm, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, immense Victorian fixtures and fittings, usually very light and sort of the, the light and space in there, in contrast to the old man's pub, I really like. Often and be, like etched island, mirrors and An island bar, right? They often have an yes. island bar, like those places, which I love. I love, I love an island bar. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And booths usually, yeah. they're like little, yeah, in general, they feel really opulent. For me, yeah, there's a kind of aesthetic quality, definitely. And carpets, if possible, like, you know, I do like a pub with a carpet. I have yeah. to say, I'm thinking of some of my favourite pubs in London and in other important drinking cities for me, such as Dublin and Belfast. And I think the, the carpet, the banquette along the side. Oh, the, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that a good... Um, red 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 leather red, yeah, yeah 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 I used to I had a phase in my 20s and it was a different kind of these pubs don't exist so much anymore but I used to I went through a real pool playing phase in my uh, 20s okay. I used to look for pubs that had pool tables and jukeboxes because then you could spend hours playing pool and uh, putting songs yes. on the jukebox, which was just a fantastic way to while away an afternoon, a sort of Saturday afternoon. But those places, I think, do, do, well, pool tables are very rare now, I think. It's not just the pool table in the corner, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's sort of making a more kind of bigger feature out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- th- these things, these kinds of spaces don't really you know that they've really changed haven't they mm. and, I, and I think there was this idea that if you had a pool table I kind of got the sense that um pubs kind of wanted to get rid of them because they thought it might attract like you know you know who didn't really want to drink they just wanted to or didn't really want to spend their money you know they, they just sort of mm. kind of, I don't know I could be completely wrong There's a huge issue of who are pubs for, particularly when, when you're thinking about it from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. Are pubs spaces where women are wanted or are they are they places that we would even want to be? Certainly since the Victorian era, I guess, and that division of public and private and women yeah. being very much expected to be, or middle class women at least, being confined to private and domestic space. The idea of a woman in a pub, unaccompanied, became quite like a, a transgressive thing that highlights different sort of changing social and cultural norms and issues of who public space is for. Yeah. And the whole, I, I was I was just out of interest. I was sort of looking up when it became more common for women to be allowed into pubs. I mean, because for, for like decades, there was um, the public bar, which was exclusively for men. Yeah. Um, and women couldn't even come in. And then there was the snug. Yeah, and the saloon bar as well, was that sort of... Yeah, a... yeah. yeah and the, the, the snug, because it had a lot of curtains, Yeah, was for people who preferred not to be seen in the public bar. So it was where women mm-hmm. could go for a drink. But also, like, also, so this article was saying and as well, if you, um, like the local vicar might nip into the snug for a drink if he didn't want um the community to see him drinking which is interesting but yeah women if if they wanted a drink then they could go into the snug and they would have the curtains drawn so that they wouldn't be frightening the horses by uh, by drinking yeah in public yeah. um but yeah I, I was surprised or maybe I shouldn't have been surprised to learn that some pubs banned women standing at the bar like right until the 70s and 80s and women had to like sort of publicly protest 
basically by by marching into pubs and demanding to be served at the bar. And the reason, apparently, that women weren't allowed to stand at the bar was um, or was thought to date back to the early 20th century and was um, meant to prevent uh, an, an escorted women of ill repute. So this article said from soliciting right. at the bar. So um, yeah. as is the case with a lot of laws or conventions around how women occupy public space, like the, the huge like sexual anxiety and yes. anxiety about like how women how, how women are earning an independent living because that yeah. also plays yeah. into sex work and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So that was um, trying to control that and kind of mm, control the way so that... that was really that was interesting. And and it changes, I think, like just looking at the example of Elvino, that was um, mostly a bar for journalists. So the fact that women wanted to stand at the bar. Um, involved the fact that men would stand at the bar and gossip so a lot of female journalists were like well we're missing out on loads of news and scoops if we can't stand at the bar um, and, and hear the men gossiping so they yeah. were like this is you know some, some of our careers depend on yeah, yeah, um, yeah being able to stand at the bar yeah so that was kind of an interesting reflection on changing like changing economics so women have disposable incomes middle-class women were moving into male-dominated careers yeah and that's interesting. I find this, but I find actually personally the, the space at, um, of the up at the bar really interesting. And I don't know if you do, but I actually quite like to get a stool up at the bar um, if I can. But it, it can be a great place to be sat. Sometimes because it can kind of, especially if you're drinking on your own, I quite like to sit with a book. Mm. It can kind of be a way of getting into conversation with people sometimes. Like, um, you know, obviously sometimes that's unwanted, but you know, there are times when it can be quite a convivial sort of space. Mm. Um, but also you hear, you know, you hear what people are talking about. And often, you know, these male conversations, you can mm. kind of get a little insight into what they're, what, they're, what they're chatting about, what they're gossiping about. Yeah, that's really, that's, I love the idea of, the, of the being up at the bar. That's where mm. conversations and information is being exchanged and you're overhearing yeah. things and there's some kind of power in in the sort of knowledge that you're getting from from being mm. in that position I've always found pubs really interesting and as like as a as a novelist um sometimes useful for uh, people watching mm. as well so I mean not simply yeah I, I sometimes like listening in and that but also just sort of just observing people and sort of imagining oh. what their what their stories are and what what dynamics also as a no- novelist well a failed novelist uh <laughs> I wrote a novel a few uh well Years 10, my unpublished masterpiece, um, <laughs> but it is basically set a lot in pubs. And I mm. found myself when I was writing that, whenever a scene was set in a pub, just wanting to, just fascinated by, just wanting to describe every aspect of people's behaviours, you know, and, mm. and how they were, how they were picking up their drink and how they were ordering, you know, what they were ordering and mm. how they were moving around the space. And I suppose for me, way of, occupying that particular space said something said mm. was it was an insight you know is, is a way of of getting an insight into people's characters and personalities and that you know anxieties or, or positions you know like like as we were saying the pub isn't 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 a neutral space and it's not the same for mm. everyone and some people are going to be more welcome there, there than other other people so it's it's so it's such a rich imaginative mm. creative space isn't it as a teenager so I used to go drinking with my brother and his and our friends quite a lot and you know it would just be like I'd go I'd tag along to watch a football match or whatever and there was part of that that public identity of occupying that public identity in a pub that I absolutely loved and it was so male it wasn't yeah, it was yeah, yeah. and it was a way for me to not be a girl the sort of plainness and the pub they're like you're not talking about your personal lives everything's very public and simple and out there you know yeah it just it was there was something really attractive and comforting to me about that that space yeah I've, I've just realised I get a similar thing from uh, rugby. Yeah. Watching rugby in the pub as a, a Welsh person. So you've got that collective identity, which yeah, you are. Yeah, exactly. And you just have performing to an extent, but you're also... Yeah, of course. It, it, I mean, I'm, I wasn't particularly, I've never, never been a massive football fan as such, but like just observing the way that men would speak to each other and being like, wow, that's amazing. Like, it's so simple. And <laughs> yeah, like they don't have to know anything about each other. They're... Yeah, I mean, I guess the, there's a there's a certain tension between the pub as as melting pots, I guess, which certainly some yeah. of, and some of my favourite pubs are like complete cultural, every, everyone's thrown in. Like you say, you can, you can have, you'll have locals, you'll have tourists, you'll have workers yeah. passing. Yeah. Um, 
and that's that's really good and then there are kind kind of paradoxically like the further out from central london you go where you'd think you'd think you'd think you'd get community pubs that are for the whole community but i often find they're not there's there's pubs for particular sections of the community uh-huh, uh-huh. versus pubs that anyone can yeah can go to so that's something i've encountered being in or living in various bits of london uh i was talking a little bit before we started recording about um about how living in belfast has made me see pubs differently um and and realize how much i've taken for granted because you know i'm from mm-hmm. london very comfortable drinking in london and going into pubs on my own and so on and and in a place in in belfast public public life and public space is a lot more contested and that's reflected in pubs and pubs are often mm-hmm. sectarianized or you know have been the site of violence um during the troubles and so on and and they had so they're charged with different meanings and I have Mm. you know it's made me so much more aware of my own position in all sorts of ways as a woman but also as an outsider as an English person you know um Mm. I am not able to use pubs you know occupy space in pubs in the way that I am in um London because Mm. for all sorts of interesting reasons and that's made me think a lot about how these these spaces work differently for different people in different places mm. as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, my experience of uh, pubs growing up in South Wales was very different from what it has been in London. Um, say a bit later on, I think about how my, my romantic ideal of the pub is very closely intertwined with my romantic ideal of London. So I, mm-hmm. I used to roll them up together when I was, when I was thinking about um, getting out of the valleys. Um, but certainly growing up, I think going to the pub for boys was was a bit of a rite of passage. And there was certainly a, a point when I guess they were all like 13, 14, when like their dads would start allowing them to come to the pub with them. And they would they would start going out as the boys, like as a huge collective gaggle. Whereas girls tended to drink in a more kind of scattered way, like you would just drink with a few of your friends. Um, and although you'd be doing it together, it would be in private. Like the, classically, we'd go to someone's house, um, particularly if it was before like a night out or a gig and drinking would form part of the ritual um, where you'd sort of spend all day getting your nails done and getting your hair done and then picking your outfits. Um, and then you'd begin drinking maybe around lunchtime and then by the time you were ready to go out around seven or eight um you were uh, you were suitably like cushioned for the occasion yeah which which used to interest me because the pub wasn't really part of that at all we would we would get like some bottles from uh-huh. the off license or the corner shop but it, it was never like let's go to the pub so when I was growing up I think it wasn't that I that I disliked the pub or found it hostile it was just like well no it's not for me um so I don't yeah. know if you had a similar a similar well, upbringing or well it's interesting I mean I wasn't when I was pubs weren't that present in my in my kind of childhood in terms of you know adults going to the pub I think partly because of where I grew up I grew up in Chingford which is a bit of a at that time I'm probably going to offend some of my uh, <laughs> Chingfordian um, friends here was a bit of a shit sort of boring suburb mm. full of Tories um, with Norman Tebbit as the MP at the time yeah yeah so pubs, okay. I didn't really think about it at the time but I don't but I think one of the reasons I mean a big reason probably we didn't spend any time in pubs was because they weren't very nice places you know they mm. were you know my parents didn't want to go there um, so we never ended up, you know. But as a teenager, there was a sort of um, there were pubs in the kind of surrounding suburbs, the sort of northeast London, Essex hinterland, uh, the unglamorous shit bits of London that don't fulfil, that don't live up to your <laughs> ideals of London. At all. Um, there were some pubs that were known as you know to be kind of, sort of soft on underage drinking, so you know you could mm. really get in. And I remember one particular time there was this pub it was called the White Hart I think in South Woodford and a group, me and a group of my uh, girlfriends decided we, yeah we're gonna we're gonna have a night out in the pub we're gonna go to the pub we were like 15 I think we all got like dressed up to the nines <laughs> went in well we sort of made our way to the pub we met outside and you know and then I mean it was it was always destined to fail this this expedition because we all kind of all tried to I can't remember some I think lots of us tried to go in the door at the same time and we all kind of just got stuck in the door and and like all flustered and then walked in and it was so clear that this was not not the place for us but we oh marvellous and then straight away of course barman was like got any ID 
girls <laughs> like oh god and so just walked out and and ended up bumping into two lads from our school and drinking 2020 do you remember 2020 oh of course I remember 2020 uh on at a bus stop basically then uh for the evening. <laughs> so our our wonderful that was my first sort of foray into like attempting drinking in a pub as a teenager. But then, I I even, uh, sorry, go on. No, I, I don't think I even tried. Like that. That's yeah. It's, it's really interesting to think to think about that. It, it wasn't the pub, but certainly the pub in my town wasn't a thing for me. Mm. I think we had about three or four. Like most of the the establishments in my town were like closing down or on their last legs in the nineties. But were, the pubs were like the last the last holdouts of uh, of commerce and trade. And mm. what we would occasionally do was hire a minibus, go to a different valley and go out there uh-huh. and that that was where we we occasionally drank in pubs so I drank in a lot of pubs in Blackwood yeah but for, for some odd reason like the pub in my in my own town wasn't a thing I wanted which mm. which meant that when I got to London I just sort of went like, completely off the rails I was like oh not, not only is it the big city it's the, the pub yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I very much yeah all, all the pubs that I had grown up reading about um, like all the old school Soho pubs coaching horses like, where uh his name Jeffrey Bernard who like obviously was a horrible person yeah, but you know yeah. talented I was just in love with all this this sort of old school bohemian ruse you know I was like oh I, I'd loved it. and Dylan Thomas who was also you know a bit of a knob but I was like oh I, I've got to I've got to get to the Fitzroy Tavern because this is where yeah. Dylan Thomas drank so yeah all, all of that romantic idealism meant that I yeah I guess I, guess I, I put a great deal of um, investment into visiting these pubs and of course none of them were really what I uh, what I hoped for from them I, I didn't I didn't meet a handsome bohemian brew who offered to publish my novel or anything, which is what obviously <laughs> I had assumed would happen immediately. <laughs> but you know, they were they were very nice places to to while away an afternoon, even if that uh, if that didn't happen. It's interesting that actually that's just reminded me of a connection because obviously I didn't have quite that quite that relationship with London pubs, although central London was a was was definitely a separate mm. kind of space to to the suburbs where I grew up. Um but in terms of that sort of romance of a of moving to a city I remember when I moved to Dublin do my I remember feeling very like yes I have to you know the, the, the pubs I have to get to grips with the pubs here mm. this is where I'm gonna Sim- similarly romantic ideals but you know this is where I'm gonna meet a, an Irish poet yeah. gonna sweep me off my feet and you know we'll discuss revolutionary you know politics and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of that sort of stuff and yeah there's there was had a great time yeah and I mean of course it didn't quite live up to those things but it was it was definitely a crucial part of of moving to that new place and getting to and getting to grips mm. with it and feeling kind of at the heart of it somehow yeah I mean all, all the stuff I know in a, a future episode we're going to talk about women and, and the city mm. um and this idea of like urban independence and on women sort of able able to realize their potential in the city in a way that they perhaps can't outside it and like yeah for me the pub is bound up with all of that like I, I feel like I am exercising some personal liberty and agency when I go in the pub myself whether, whether that's because of these these ideas that women can't women shouldn't be out in public alone they certainly shouldn't be drinking alone all this sort of thing which I I enjoy transgressing that Um, because it's not like I go into a pub and and drink until I'm paralytic and and blackout like you know that's that's for a Tuesday night at home you know I I I enjoy occupying public space Um, so I enjoy just having a very a quiet pint while I read a book or I do some writing all all that kind of thing and yeah to me the the pub seems like the obvious place to do that yeah sort of to express that particular that particular idea of independence and agency why I enjoy being in pubs yeah and I I think for me I have a similar thing that that idea of going in on my own and that being an expression of something you know an expression Mm. of my relationship with the city you know like you know you mentioned going into pubs after work often on my way home I would like when still living in London was working at Islington Town Hall and I lived in Archway and I would sometimes on a Friday often on a Friday I would just walk, walk take a really long rambling mm. walk home and part of that would be spontaneously kind of deciding oh walking past the pub and being like oh I'm gonna go in there for mm. a and the spontaneity of it was sort of part of it because it was like yeah I'm gonna do this because I can do this and there mm. is still something vaguely defiant I think about about that as a as a woman you know going into a pub on your own and Definitely. So it was a way of of experiencing the city and adding an, and it added another layer to my journey home it was another way of, mm. sort of it was a kind of adding a further dimension to which and it just feels so it, it always felt exciting and liberating to do that mm. you know go in and say order one pint for myself sit down get my book out 
and yeah I mean I, I enjoyed doing that um both as as a woman and also like as a as a worker as well I, I yeah, used to enjoy yeah. um breaking up my commutes by just like partly in my obviously I'm now working from home but in my current job I used to have a bit of a nightmare commute that involved the bus then the tube then the train and then walking um so on my way home I would enjoy just getting the bus into Blackfriars or St Paul's um stopping off yeah just for, yeah just for like an hour or however long it took me to drink one drink and then proceeding mm. um on the second leg of my journey home but having broken it up and just exercised that bit of autonomy that means I can class myself as like not a drone in the mildest possible way it's not just like right I leave the office I get on the train etc it's like no you can enter enter whatever pub of your choosing you know have whatever drink of your choosing of course it's all capitalist realism and it's all um it's the illusion of choice or whatever but you know these are these are what we've oh no absolutely the options we have available to us so you know I enjoy taking them and I think there isn't sort of everyday creativity about those acts, you know, that we mm. use it, we're using in, within our limited circumstances, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of exercising some sense of yeah creativity, mm. I suppose. It kind of makes me, you just talking about that makes me think of, of the famous oft quoted line in the wasteland where, you know, with the people going walking across London bridge. Oh yeah. 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 I thought that death had undone so many. And I guess, probably some of these things are going to come up in our city episode as well but the idea mm. the, the sort of idea of modernity and what that means and and I suppose yeah like I hadn't thought about that but the, the you're, you're part of the the crowd mm. you know, but then you're breaking off to go to go have a pint and you know and yeah exactly I mean it's it's a very it's a small act of of rebellion but mm. like that's that's how I I'm not independently wealthy I have to work for a living so yeah as you're saying within my limited circumstances I, I try to bring in my my bohemian ideal of the city yeah yeah you know, the fact that I also am forced into yes. uh, w- wage labor so you know that's mitigates <laughs> the uh the t- yeah what, what more can we do wage labor yeah, absolutely and there is something there's certainly something about the pub that is associated with liberty and with freedom and abandon there's a little ditty they're singing in the city, especially when they've been on the gin or the beer. If you've got the patience, your own imaginations will tell you just exactly what you want to hear. Papa, oh, Papa, that's how it goes. Papa, oh, Papa, everyone knows. They all suppose what they want to suppose when they hear all so going back to that that idea of the pub as a as a space of possibility and freedom and all of that um i know with nell and i is a very important film to both of us so um Mm -hmm. and there's a scene a crucial scene which for me always just brings out such feelings of longing and joy where they are supposed to be buying wellingtons once he gives them a pair of blues pair of blues yes And say balls to Monty and take the pair of blues to the pub for a bit of an impromptu session. I just love what that scene represents, you know, that that sort of joyful abandon and that sense of like adventure. You know, it's it's just a mini adventure. It's just it's just the pub and it's just, you know, an afternoon in the pub. A certain amount of what I'm getting from like breaking from my commute and away, you know, let's have a a very small adventure. (laughs) <laughs> with very narrow horizons um, but I think that's yeah I mean so much there are so many scenes in, in with Nell that also uh, I, I relate to very deeply I identify with yeah and so many of those are related to the pub uh, quadruple whiskies and another pair of pints please two large gins two pints of cider ice in the cider if my father was loaded I'd ask him for some money your father's my father you wouldn't get it that's chin chin because it's like fuck it let's get and day drinking it's the fact that it's in the afternoon as well it's so like ah. this exhilarating idea of collective adventure and yeah yeah yeah, it's beautiful. I suppose that links with some of the stuff about the freedom of the city, of the pub that we feel, but mm. actually we did, we wouldn't have that same freedom as they would in yeah. that because we're Yeah, women. exactly. Two women behaving like would be yeah. going in to spend money that a, that a slightly predatory older gentleman had... Um, had given them to buy shoes um, and instead getting drunk like that would be that, that would be commented upon yeah. um, we would invite comment from someone <laughs> about yeah oh, what, what are you up 
fucking there. Yeah, love. And it is, it's, yeah, it's obviously, it's very clear that women are, are judged in more negative ways and have more assumptions made about them if they drink or if they spend a lot of time in pubs um, than men do. I think men, men can get away with a, a lot of things that relate to, to drink and women can't. Like there's, there's much more um, censure and, and social judgment absolutely them. and i think it's also drinking but it's drinking in public as well so it's it's mm-hmm. taking up space you know like we've talked yeah. quite a lot about that haven't we about that but you know that idea for us of like the pub as a space going into it and claiming mm. claiming that space and yeah like i know specifically as well if it was just that scene if you you know put two women in that in that scene and with now instead of two men it's not just the drinking it's not just the being in public it's that there's two women without a man as well mm. and i know yeah. myself when I've been in pubs, you know, with another woman. I remember a friend of mine and me being in a pub playing pool together. This, this you could just tell this was really getting getting on, you know, certain people, certain men in pubs, really getting on their nerves. And they just came over and started making pointless conversation with us. And it was, it was almost like a reminder, you know, like, mm. don't forget. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, the, the amount of unsolicited conversations... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That men have started with me in pubs. Um, they've occasionally just like they haven't even asked if they can buy me a drink. They just sort of like have, have slid something like four or yeah, five yeah. times. They just like slid a slid a drink over to me. And like, what you... Well, it's um, a reminder, isn't it, that this isn't else, but yeah. this place isn't for you. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, there's actually, I mean, so, something that um, again I was quite surprised to read about when I was um, putting my notes together. The campaign for real ale camera which we now think of today as like not only being very male but being the preserve of a certain type of yeah older probably bearded um folk music aficionado um yeah. man um I, some of my best friends are, cam- are camera oh members. mine too mine too <laughs> <laughs> um but when it was established in 1971 they were really keen on women joining because a lot of their i guess their style and their rhetoric was borrowed from protest groups at the time so like feminist groups anti-racist groups yeah and it was yeah it was full of quite open-minded young people um, but there, there was um like a quite a push and encouragement for women to join and one one of these female members called Catherine Adams wrote something called uh, Women in the Pub, The Bitter Truth, in which she talks about like the drawback with pubs is that they are designed by and large for men and that women don't feel comfortable going into a pub alone. Um, and one of her lines is women who actually like pubs are familiar with the assumption of the assembled males that a woman who comes alone into a pub must be either a scarlet woman or a pint swilling harridan. And I guess that was from the early 70s and that assumption clearly something I'm still familiar with and yeah, yeah and, and I'm often both yeah oh yeah quite happy to, to, to <laughs> both of those things <laughs> at various points um I mean even though and I, I mean I, I realize sort of under undercutting all this will be the idea of like reliance on alcoholism and drink dependency etc etc obviously I do recognize that as a um a danger in all this but I think there's a difference between the pub as a cultural and social institution and something that you uh, well and, and alcohol as something that you become addicted to like really the two are quite separate in my mind though obviously they're they're equally obvious intertwined well yeah and I think that's a really important distinction as well isn't it about the pub as a space it isn't just about drinking you know to reduce Mm, somewhere where you drink is just completely not to not to point you know like that Mm. like that quote I read out at the beginning there's so Mm. much bound up in the idea of the pub and I I um I I like that um in in that passage what comes up is a sort of public private kind of liminality you know there's a sort of mm. liminality about about it because it is a bit like your living room but it's not your living room and and I yeah yeah I'm absolutely like longing for that sense of being out but not but you're not you're not really out you're kind of out but you're you're just in a very comfortable you know you're in a comfortable space having a pint that someone else has poured for you with with other people that you don't know this is so much the sort of public yeah there's a kind of public private sort of there. that's a, a really important um a really important aspect of the pub I think I remember reading someone um I think it like a, maybe a, a pub landlady actually talking about how in lockdown obviously she wasn't able to open up and she was talking about like her regulars a lot of whom were, were elderly men some elderly women 
mm, mm. as well who didn't really have anywhere to be like that wasn't in their incredibly depressing cold drafty um yeah accommodation etc um and the fact that the pub for them was a social space even if they didn't talk to anyone yeah just being able to sit there like the the, the sort of dot cotton stereotype like just yeah. sitting there with a very tiny glass of gin yeah. for an entire afternoon it's like well yeah. you know that gives that gives people comfort it gives them a sense of community so yeah and, and that's you know when I've very difficult times in my life when I've not I've, when I've found being at home quite hard and I haven't wanted to be in domestic space I had the stomach for a proper night out but I have and I think the Russell the Lord John Russell in Marchmont Street which I know we've talked about on yeah, yeah. um, in Bloomsbury in London that was that always felt like a very safe space for me to go yes I'd, I'd often be in Senate House working in the day and I'd go and have a, have a pint or a gin and tonic or something and it would be oh, okay this is all right and I didn't have to be anyone there I didn't no one knew me mm-hmm. there's a familiarity still somehow yeah yeah I tend to use this term specifically for the days between Christmas and New Year when there's a kind of there's like a convalescent feel to them yeah because everyone is sort of recuperating in various ways no one wants to do too much or even really see anyone else or certainly not talk to anyone else I mean yeah I normally like specifically seek out very quiet plain um old man pubs which are usually full of other single drinkers yeah just kind of sitting sitting around because there's there's just a particular comfort and and communion almost in in particular pubs definitely definitely yeah because also because at that time of year, people are so often kind of have been so bogged down in like familial home mm. domestic dynamics, and and it's... yeah. So again, being able to go somewhere that feels like it's feels like it's a house, but it isn't. Yeah, or yeah. certainly not your. It's not your house, but also you can sit there. Yeah. I mean, some of the very earliest pubs were literally just like someone's front room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they would like they would homebrew their own. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. their own alcohol and sell it there. So um, it's. The obligatory lockdown, you know, post post COVID hook, you know. Now, mm. but it'll be interesting to see how these spaces, what happens to these spaces when when mm. we kind of return back to public life. And I feel, I mean, this is one of the things that I feel a great deal of sadness about actually at the moment because I really feel like it's going to be a long time before we get the pub, you know, as we know it. Mm. you know that sense all of those things that we're talking about spontaneity you know freedom some sense of like unregulated you know that sort of liminal Mm. I feel like I mean the sense of of spontaneity I think is something I I think will take a lot of time to come back I'm I'm purely thinking of like there are a few pubs that are opening in my area but it's like you you have to book ahead yeah. there'll be specific tables that they will book you into and, and show you to so that that's that regimented sense of uh, of this is something that I regard as quite alien from my my usual experience yeah yeah no I, totally, pub, so. I totally agree and also and I you know I'm, I'm perhaps a bit unfashionable in this regard but like I don't I don't really like drinking outside I actually quite like to just be inside no I can't bear it absolutely can't bear it so, um, all right, sometimes in the summer, if it's a particular kind of yeah, hot day, but yeah. we so rarely get that weather. No, and I, I really like a nice corner of a pub indoors. There were, I, did, I did visit some pubs in the summer when things reopened a bit last year. It was mainly outside and it's just not the same, you know, um, it really isn't the same. Yeah, there's something that's quintessentially indoors about a pub to me. Like, I mean, yeah, the dark yeah. interior, the dark interior, the sort yeah, of... the curtains, the the bizarre paintings that are often in, uh, in pubs. <laughs> I'm no, glad... it's, all, it's all about being indoors. I'm glad we've we've established a commonality, and I don't think we've talked about <laughs> it before, but I'm, I'm glad that you. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very much an indoor drinker. <laughs> well, it's aesthetic, the aesthetics of it is is so much is important. Yeah, and we, I think we didn't. Like, maybe we both got enough of drinking outside when we were teenagers. I don't think either of us had like a village green, but that sort of the village green drinking or, or in yeah. parks. Yeah, no, it's... it was around the back of Tesco's with the uh, with me. It wasn't very picturesque, but uh, yeah, that, I associate drinking outdoors with like, yeah, that's that's what you do when you're too young to to get into a pub. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> hopefully, when it does return, there'll be a way for us to put our stamp back on. On it. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be. This is obviously like a really a, a somber note to end on, but like I really I hope that pubs 
survive like given yeah. that the yeah. hospitality industry in general has, has suffered quite a lot under yeah. um under lockdown and the government doesn't seem particularly bothered about the pub as an industry like i don't i think they probably don't make a great deal of money from them they probably make more out of developers turning them into yeah. uh, into flats so yeah oh, yeah i mean it's weird isn't it because there was this rush schools and pubs seem to be the thing about like they, they really wanted to get open so in some mm. way there was some this sort of perhaps economic drive or whatever to to reopen the pub but but it's not yeah that's true it, I mean this conversation that we've been having it feels like we've been kind of you know unpacking something about these spaces that is important beyond just you know mm. I mean obviously their people's jobs are dependent on pubs and there's something else that we're missing you know yeah they have far more than economic value I think yeah. like in, as, as social and cultural spaces they're valuable yeah. I mean we haven't really um again like I <laughs> this isn't something I particularly appreciate in a pub that I'm in but like they're also very good for like community events like you can a lot of people use them for for meetings or for like um either like sort of political meetings or for get-togethers that kind of thing yeah. um often have like open mic nights so you can get like local local bands or local comics and karaoke Um, karaoke indeed indeed i love karaoke (laughs) to a pub of strangers singing downtown by the clerk like just just get me get me back there absolutely (laughs) yeah long live the pub i say that with with like hope rather than any particular confidence at the moment but absolutely thank you for listening and join us next time Jimmy didn't like his place in this world of ours Where the other man brought storm and next And he had too many pairs So I sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving And he took the road for God knows in the morning We walked him to the station in the rain We kissed him as we put him on the train And we sang him a song A ties long gone Now we knew that we'd be seeing him again But sad to say I must be on my way Some people left for heaven without warning We walked them to the station in the rain We kissed them as we put them on the train And we sang them a song of times long gone Though we knew that we'd be seeing them again I sighed to say I must be on my way So buy me beer or whiskey cause I'm going far away I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can To the greatest little boozer at a Sally McLennan When Jimmy came back home, he was surprised that they were gone. He asked me all the details of the train that they went on. Some people, they are scared to come, but Jimmy drank until he choked. Took the road for heaven in the morning. We walked him to the station in the rain. And we kissed him as we put him on the train. And we sang him a song, a time's long gone. Though we knew that we'd be seeing him again.